This is a fourth hand production. They believe that these masters allegedly got to sprinkle the allegedly oh, over. Oh, yeah. Um, are attempting to revive knowledge of an ancient religion once found around the world and which will again come to eclipse the existing world religions. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental planes that they're building? And police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome, everybody, to Strange Uggles. I'm Shane. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> no. I, I've, been, I've been called worse. That's fine. No. <laughs> it is what it is. Just kidding. I couldn't think of anything better to say. Uh, I'm Josh. Yeah, yeah. How you doing, man? So, Well, considering it's been a week since last time we talked... <laughs> <laughs> Let's not spoil the surprise, shall we? Anyway. Hey, so I do want to start on this, by the way. So last episode, we were uh, discussing we were stuck on something, which, you know, usually we do pretty good pulling some out of our ass, but we cannot figure out that cult song to save our life. And and during the intro on this one, oh, I was like, it God was Firewoman. Firewoman. Firewoman? Fire yeah, remember? That's not the song I yeah, think of fire when I think woman, of the cult. Anyway, well, that's what I was thinking of. It was yeah. something woman I knew. I just didn't know what the hell. So anyway, uh, and then I had one other thing, too. So those of you listening uh, to the last episode, you know, part one of uh, the cult and the cultism, um, history of and all that stuff. And so she sells sanctuary is the song oh, I always think of. that's one. Okay. Yeah. You and I were on totally different, uh, totally different categories. I looked that up either. I just realized that, oh, no, that's the one. Yeah, that's that's it. Because I know he toured, and I cannot remember the lead singer's guy, but for a brief time in like late 90s, early 2000s, he actually toured with the existing Doors because of how he sounds and looks like Jim Morrison. And so I want to say yeah. his name's like Ian something. That might be the guitar player. Um, yeah, I can't remember something like that. I enjoy the cult, but I was never like super fan. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No, same here. Same here. Yeah, he had a good voice. It was catchy, you know, but it was what it was. I don't think he sounds but, anything like Jim Morrison, but I also hate the doors. So I don't there's that. Oh, blasphemy. I love the doors. Well, I was stationed in San Fran for like three months. And so are you fucking you know. serious? Get off my TV screen. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're one of my favorite ones, but really? Is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You have horrible taste in music for the oh, most part. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate you putting that on the airways for thousands to listen to. Um, yeah. I enjoyed Jim Morrison because, you know, everybody talks about him and being drugged out, which he absolutely was. But a lot of his songs that they wrote, he wrote in high school. He had like journals of them. It wasn't, he wasn't writing anything really new. And after that kind of went away, they didn't really have anything new and they fell apart, you know? So it wasn't really the drugs that made him necessarily, but the drugs definitely did eat at him. That's for sure. Wait, did he, did, was that before or after he died though? With what? All the, shut up. 
<laughs> before the band before the band fell apart oh before the way true well you know well, i never even made it all the way through the fucking movie with val kilmer and meg ryan back when like they were my favorite actors <laughs> what was that like 91 or something like that i know yes that, i uh, am old yeah uh, that's uh, hey it was one of my favorite movies when i was in the navy in fact i have a uh, i had a friend of mine send me i think it was tracy if you're listening remind me if it was you or not i think i asked for a copy of the doors on vhs or just take credit Oh, yeah, it's just a great. And macaroni and cheese. It was like, that's all I wanted when I was in the Navy floating around the ocean because I couldn't have either. And I think she said they didn't have craft mac and cheese on the fucking ship. Nope. Nope. We are overseas, buddy. What the fuck is the Department of Defense spending these trillions of dollars on? I must have answers. Yeah. Anyway. But uh, with that being said, yeah, we were talking about uh, occultism and the history of. We talked about kind of the definition. Where are we now? We were. We were. We talked about the definition. Hmm. We were talking about to some of the older groups. Uh, and then we were talking about the big four. And we did actually, we started with spiritualism. And again, um, not to reiterate, but I do want to say, you know, a, a fascinating book, just because she's great at what she does, is The In-Betweens. Again, I'm not trying to push it. I'm not getting anything out of it, but I'm just saying Fantastic book. It's written by Mira Patassin. Um, Well, well done. And, uh, and I'll push thing. it. You should read it. it, it re- it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it's really, It's really super cool. interesting. It's not like trying to sell you one thing or another. It's just like, hey, I went and did this cool, weird thing for the summer. Yeah. Check it out. That's all, yeah, that's all it was. Like, I remember the very first prologue was uh, she went into this gal's cabin, and she was doing table knocking. And she was talking about this table actually moving. Like, she put her hand on it. And she's like, oh, yeah. And then the table started doing this and this and this. And I'm like, holy shit. And that was, like, before the chapter scene started, which is crazy. So, well worth it. I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes if you guys are um, curious for sure. You know, whether it's movies or books, it seems to be our two, uh, our two fortes for the most part. But, um, yeah, if you're ready to kick back into it, man, uh, you want to continue down the road of uh, occultism here? Hey, you know what? Fuck it. Why not? All right. Um, cool. Let's just jump right right in since it's been so so long since we last talked. <laughs> right. I think uh I think I can remember where we were. There you go. Um oh yes, here we are. Theosophy <laughs> is a religion established in the United States during the late 19th century. It was founded by the Russian Helena Blat- Blavatsky. Helena Blavatsky. Her again. Comrade? Uh-huh. Yeah, that was a great Russian accent. Josh, you should do that more often Um, and draws its teachings predominantly from Blavatsky's writings uh, categorized by scholars of religion as both a new religious movement and as part of the occultist stream of Western esotericism. Okay. It draws upon both older European philosophies, such as Neopop, there's an ice cream and a I was going to say this not, as well as a city in, in Italy. Why can't I say this? <laughs> it's not Neapolitan. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> Neoplatonism. I'll give you that one. Sure. What the fuck is that? I would have done any better. Uh, while you continue to read, I'll look it up. I didn't find it uh, was very fascinating. But Yeah, I when I was reading this through, trying to understand how to pronounce words before I tried to read it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, what the fuck is that? And I also thought it was Neapolitan. And uh, yeah, anyway, I digress. And Asian religious religions such as Hinduism and Buddhism... Uh, Theosophy was established in New York City in 1875 with the founding of the Theosophical Society 
by Blavatsky and Americans Henry Alcott and William Kwan Judge. In the early 1880s, Blavatsky and Alcott relocated to India, where they established the society's headquarters in Adyar, uh, Tamil Nadu. Hmm. Interesting. Sorry if I said any of that horribly wrong. Completely I'm wrong. sure I did. Uh, Blavatsky described her ideas in two books, Isis Unveiled and The Secret Doctrine, both of which are, are sound like fun titles, honestly. I think I read bits and pieces of The Secret Doctrine. Interesting. That sounds like something you would read. Yeah, well, you know, when in Rome. Yeah, you know, or uh, or when in Adyar, Tamil Nadu. (laughs) Don't say that again. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, she sought to produce uh, purportedly supernatural phenomena to support her claims regarding the masters. In fact, I always heard them referred to as the ascended masters, but that probably came later. Um. Anyway, yeah, she was basically trying to support her claims regarding these masters. Um, And although she was reportedly accused of fraudulently doing so, which, uh, again, we need to eventually do probably a fucking four-parter on her because she's a big, uh, like, keystone in what became the paranormal and, like, esoteric communities and stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. she was, she kind of had her, uh, her little fingers dealt in everything. You know, it's, it's crazy what she, I got this book that I haven't read yet. It's called, uh, Blavatsky's baboon or something. This guy wrote it years ago about her. I, I don't know. I recommend it, but I just haven't got to it yet. But yeah, she's, a, she's a figure for sure. So yeah, it would be interesting. Anyway, as presented by Blavatsky, theosophy teaches that there is an ancient and secretive brotherhood of of spiritual adepts known as the masters who, although found around the world are centered in Tibet. Uh, these masters are alleged are alleged by Blavatsky to have cultivated great wisdom and supernatural powers. And theosophists believe that it was they who initiated the modern theosophical movement through disseminating their teachings via Blavatsky Blavatsky. Uh, of course. No way. Yeah. Not. Yeah. She's got to be involved, right? All right. Helena Smith. Um, they believe that these masters allegedly got to sprinkle the allegedly oh, over. Oh yeah. Um, are attempting to revive knowledge of an ancient religion once found around the world and which will again come to eclipse the existing world religions. Theosophical groups nevertheless do not refer to their system as a religion. Theosophy preaches the existence of a single divine absolute. Hmm. Theosophy teaches that the purpose of human life is spiritual emancipation and claims that the human soul undergoes reincarnation upon bodily death, according to a process of karma. Um, I think some of this is really interesting, and I'm trying to remember if we get deeper into it before I start talking about it right now, but... um, uh, Feel free to talk about it. We don't really get, I didn't want to get too deep into it because it literally could be half the episode because it is, I mean, it's fascinating in its own right. And and it's still around. There's actually a big center in, um, yeah, yeah. I want to say California, I want to say San Diego or something that's a theosophy center. Uh, and, you know, anybody is invited. I, I got that kind of on my bucket list. I just haven't went. But um, yeah, there's a theosophical library in, uh, I want to say, Melbourne. Is there? Australia. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, 
theosophy has had its institutional problems with pedophilia also uh, um yeah. not to uh cast aspersions on anyone's shit bad people do things everywhere yep um anyway yep. what i was really thought was interesting was where, where she was talking about trying to revive knowledge of an ancient uh religion found around the world because i keep hearing also about like ancient civilizations that were globe spanning civilizations that like right and then just they capsulated disappeared over. Yeah, right. out, yeah, yeah 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 in the ocean or whatever yeah it's crazy i mean i it's like anything else i think the theory behind it is great it's all it's like communism the theory behind communism is fantastic but it just would never function and i don't know that's why i worry about something like this i just don't think it would uh i don't know you know it, i don't think it would function the same but yeah i don't know it's just it's just weird i that's a thing that keeps coming up in stuff that I look at all the time and I'm sure, sure interested and want to dig deeper. That's a side note. Anyway, back to theosophy. <laughs> it promotes values of universal brotherhood and social improvement, which are good things. Mm-hmm. Although it does not stipulate uh, particular ethical codes, which again is where you can get some bad actors using it to right. do bad harm actor harm. things. Yep. Um, Following Blavatsky's death in 1891, there was a schism in the society with Judge leading the Theosophical Society in America to split from the international organization. Under Judge's successor, Catherine Tingley, a Theosophical community named Llamaland was in, established in San Diego. I think that might be the place that you're talking about. That might be the one, about. yep, yep. Um, the Adir-based society was later taken over by Annie Besant, uh, which will come up again. So I stand by. Um, <laughs> un- <laughs> anyway, under whom it grew to its largest uh, extent during the late 1920s before going into decline. The theosophical movement still exists, although in much smaller form than it, than in its heyday. Uh, Theosophy played a a significant role in bringing knowledge of South Asian religions to Western countries, as well as encouraging cultural pride in various South Asian nations. A variety of prominent artists and writers have also been influenced by theosophical teachings. Uh, Theosophy has an international following and during the 20th century had tens of thousands of adherents. Theosophical ideas have also exerted an influence on a wide range of other esoteric movements and philosophies, among them Anthroposophy, mm-hmm. uh, the Church Universal, and Triumphant. Of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the New Age. Oh, God. Uh, um, that's the problem. Here lies the problem. <laughs> I mean, like, when you look at a lot of the things that theosophists are looking at and are talking about, and um, they're great. Like a lot of the writings, a lot of it's like really interesting yeah, and weird. Yeah. It's just like yeah, hundred percent. It's just yeah. a matter. Yeah, you know, it's just like any other organized religion, whether they call themselves religion or not. You know, you always have the bad apples. Um, and also, just to piggyback off that, and just FYI, so the definition for Neoplatonism, uh, it's a strand of Platonic philosophy that emerged in the third century AD against a background of Hellenistic philosophy and religion. The term does not encapsulate a set of ideas as much as it encapsulates a chain of thinker, thinkers which began with Ammonius Saccas and his student Platonius, which stretches to the 6th century AD. 
Even though Neoplatonicism uh, primarily circumscribes the thinkers who are now labeled Neoplatonists and not their ideas, there are still some ideas that are common to their systems. Um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, okay, but I feel like I know century. less about it now than I did before. <laughs> I it's like, okay. I think it was just a structure of beliefs, it sounds like, you know. And anyway, it is what it is. And no, absolutely. I think it'd be fun to, to dive down Blavatsky. Again, I you know, the jury's out whether she meant, well, there's a lot of people who think uh, Aleister Crowley was this great mystic of the realm and he could do. In reality, the guy was just a fucking asshole that was Pretty just much. trying to take advantage of whoever he could take advantage of to get namesake. I mean, really that's history with him, but he's, it's fascinating because every bookstore I walk into has Crowley writings, you know, prominently displayed. And I was like, okay, come on, Mr. Crowley. Yeah, give his guy a break anyway. So, but onwards and upwards. So let's talk about anthroposophy. It's a spiritualist movement founded in the early 20th century by Rudolf Steiner. This belief postulates the existence of an objective intellectually comprehensible spiritual world and accessible to human experience. So, in case you don't understand what that is, <laughs> draw up a little bit. Uh, followers of anthroposophy aim to engage in spiritual discovery through a mode of thought independent of sensory experience. So they hmm. also aim to present their ideas in a manner verifiable by rational discourse, and in studying the spiritual world, seek comparable precision and clarity to that obtained by scientists investigating the physical world. In other words, they're just trying to go into trances to make themselves better to breach whatever's out there. I mean, that you know, huh? sums okay. it up in a way, right? Uh, so some background on this whole thing. Uh, by the beginning of the 20th century, Steiner's interests turned almost exclusively to spirituality, which, again, that seemed like a common running theme here. Uh, his work began to interest others interested in spiritual ideas. Among these was a Theosophical Society. From 1900 on, thanks to the positive reception his ideas received from theo Theosophists, uh, Steiner focused increasingly on his work with the Theosophical Society, becoming the secretary of its section in Germany in 1902. So, way to get the foot in the door, right? So, now we're off to the races here. Um, during his leadership, membership increased dramatically, from just a few individuals to 69 lodges. Uh, so, you know, we're thinking that he was pretty nice. influential. Yeah, 69. I like where they stopped there. Uh, I think, so it sounds like he was just influential, if nothing else. I mean, so, sure. people were drawn to him. He had a way about him. He was in a, a position now of influence, you know, yada, yada, yada. But... Um, but good things never last, they say. And in 1907, a split between Steiner and the Theosophical Society became apparent. Why the society was orientated towards an Eastern and especially Indian approach, which we talked about earlier, uh, mm. Steiner was trying to develop a path and embrace Christianity and natural science. Nerd. <laughs> right. You just ruined it, dude. The split became irrevocable when Annie Besant, which we mentioned before, then president of the Theosophical Society, presented, wait for it, the child Jiddu Krishnamurti as the reincarnated Christ. So, you know, there's one in okay. every one in every haystack, uh, which needless to say, stirred the proverbial pot for everybody. So Steiner strongly objected and considered any comparison between Krishnamurti and Christ to be nonsense, which is actually pretty fucking funny because many years later, Krishnamurti himself also admitted that it was probably Huey and he was not the reincarnated Christ uh, figure that Andy presented him as. Um, so it sounds like maybe there's a bit of brainwashing, uh, perhaps, went on there. Uh, that just reminds me of that mm. King of the Hill episode where they think 
uh, Bobby might be the next. <laughs> I remember uh, that stupid, like the next Buddha or some shit yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Anyway, well, you know, drama no matter where you go. But uh, I find it funny that at the end of the day, this this guy that was supposed to be Christ is like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, so I was a kid, you know? man. I don't know. Right. There was that. They just gave me lollipops and money. Anyway, Steiner's continuing differences with uh, Bassant led him to separate from the Theosophical Society, Adyar. He was subsequently followed by the great majority of the Theosophical Society's German members, which, go figure, uh, as well as many members of other national sections. By this point, Steiner had reached considerable stature as a spiritual teacher and expert, again, allegedly, in the occult. I'm, I'm fair to believe that there's no experts in this whatsoever, as we often speak about. Um, he spoke about what he considered to be in his direct experience of the Akashic Records, uh, thought to be a spiritual chronicle of the history, prehistory. Damn, I love Akashic Records. Each, uh, we should kind of cover that, too. We haven't covered that either, have we? Um, uh, not in, not like, not in detail. I think it comes up. It's one of those things that comes up a lot that we yeah, haven't yeah. really dug into. Fascinating. Um, it also covers the future of the world of mankind and also sounds like a topic for another episode. Well, there you go. It sounds like it would be. Oh, hey. Um, in several works, Steiner described a path of inner development he felt would let anyone attain comparable spiritual experiences. In Steiner's view, sound vision could be developed in part by practicing rigorous forms of ethical and cognitive self-discipline, concentration, and meditation. In particular, Steiner believed a person's spiritual development could occur only after a period of moral development, which honestly, fuck, dude, that yeah. doesn't sound bad. I mean, right? If you're going to, hey, make yourself a better person, and then maybe you reach this other level, that's kind of what Buddhism is about. It's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, by 1923, a schism had formed between older members focused on inner development and young members eager to become active in contemporary social transformations. Oh, those young'uns. They want something so quick and easy, right? Always so loud and impatient. Oh, I know. Jesus. Steiner died in 1925, and the Second World War temporarily hindered the anthroposophical uh, movement in most of continental Europe as the anthroposophical society and teachings were banned by the Nazi government, which is... Oh, hey, you got that going for you. <laughs> but Can't be fu- all bad. It's fucking ironic, because look at the Nazis. They were the number one in occultism and mysticism as they went around collecting yeah, like, the sword of this. Yeah, but only if fucking- it said that, like... What we're doing is a good thing. Oh, that's typical, I guess, for... Absolutely not. No, not at all. Anyway, but if you can't trust the Nazis' decisions, who can you trust, right? So, at the end of the day. Um, it should be noted, though, that there was one Nazi, Rudolf Hess, which I'm sure you... That rings a bell. He's one of the high yeah, uppers that there. fucker. Oh, yeah. That was something else. Anyway, uh, who was a strong supporter of the movement. By 2007, national branches uh, of the anthroposophical... Uh, God, Anthroposophical Society had been established in 50 countries and about 10,000 institutions around the world were working on the basis of what the ideas were. Uh, Last but not least, here's a quote taken directly from the website in regard to what they are about. So, you know, if you ask yourself, well, wait, is this, are these guys still around? Yes, they absolutely are still around. And here's a quote. Seeing the whole human being in our complex, social, biological, planetary, and cosmic contexts, anthroposophy uh, can open up the field of creative potential and action for each of us. This includes personal growth and health and capacities and social and professional service and engagement. So far, it sounds awesome, right? Sure. 
Anthroposophy's uh, far-reaching view of personal development and human evolution gives a new context for today's widespread egotism. We each need to gain inner freedom and self-reliance in order to be change agents and conveners of a healthy future civilization, one where the whole community and the individual are seen and valued by each other, unquote. Okay, so that's good. That's awesome. So, by the way, you too can become a member to improve yourself and be a better human being in the world. It's just going to cost you $55 a month to be that better human being. So, there's that. But Well, you know, that's less than tithing, so I'll take it. <laughs> that's probably true, very much so. And anyway. also sounds like it would have a much more profound impact on my life. Yeah, agreed. 100% agreed. I, I just find it, and you know, but the flip side, I guess, really, I mean... They need money to survive, so there's that. I just, you know, everybody's got their hat out somewhere. It just gets old and annoying, but eh, it is what it is. Oh, yeah. I'd prefer if it was like a sign up for Astro uh, Anthroposophy's Patreon. <laughs> right. For sure. At whatever tier yeah, anyway. you feel good about. I don't well, know. Anyway. Do. But this Steiner guy, I mean, you know, it sounded like he had the right idea. I mean, it's in general. Like, I think a lot of these things, they have the right idea. They sound awesome. But then the problem is human beings are in charge of them, and that fucks it all up every single time. So there's that. But Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So apparently we've saved the coolest one for last, but this only feels like three. Is this four? Um, I feel like we might have skipped uh, no, one. No, we got three on there because we covered a spiritualism before. So Error, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so. Okay. Thank you for reminding me how bad I am at math and simple arithmetic. <laughs> no worries. Anyway. I'm always here. Thanks. I appreciate that. I know I can count on you for uh, keeping me in my place. <laughs> um, we saved the coolest one for last. Let's uh, talk about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn or more commonly known as the Golden Dawn. It was a secret society devoted to the study and practice of the occult, metaphysics, and paranormal activities during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Known as a magical order, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was active in Great Britain and focused its practices on theurgy and spiritual development. Uh, Many present-day concepts of ritual and magic that are at the center of contemporary traditions such as Wicca and Thelema were inspired by the Golden Dawn, which became one of the largest single influences on 20th century Western occultism. With a name like that, yeah. Shit, they gotta be somewhat Uh, profound. Mystical as fuck, my dog. Yeah, sounds like a really cool 70s band. But Anyway. Oh, that too, actually. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> better sounds like a better name than three dog night <laughs> right. uh <laughs> so uh the three founders william robert woodman william Wynn westcott and samuel liddell mathers were freemasons uh but it's noted that westcott appears to have been the initial driving force behind the founding of this cool club hmm. The Golden Dawn system was based on hierarchy and initiation like masonic lodges however Women were admitted on an equal basis with men, which was a nice change. And also, how can you have your orgies if you don't? I know, well, you can. It, is, it just makes there is awkward. some sex magic going on, if I remember that, right. There is some sex magic. <laughs> well, Jack so, Parsons, right? Was uh, yeah. He dabbled in a little bit of the edge on this whole thing. So, anyway. 
Um, the Golden Dawn was the first of three orders, although all three are often collectively referred to as the Golden Dawn. The first order taught esoteric philosophy based on the Hermetic Kabbalah and personal development through study and awareness of the four classical elements, as well as the basics of astrology, tarot divination, and geomancy, which Ooh. sounds fantastic. It does. I like the Geomancy. Yeah. Um, if, are you interested to find out what geomancy is? Because I Sure. Am. Lay it on me. Um, geomancy being a method of divination that interprets markings on the ground or patterns formed by tossed handfuls of soil, rocks, or sand. Uh, very scientific and detailed. Jesus um, Never mind. I don't hey, I mean, that's, that still sounds interesting. Mm. I don't know. Uh, the second or inner order, the Rosé Rubier. Rubier? Rubier. Okay. Fuck it. Sounds like breakfast wine. <laughs> um, at Ari Crucius taught magic, including scrying, astral travel, and alchemy. The third order was that of the secret chiefs. Hell yeah. Who were said to be highly skilled. Uh, they supposedly directed the activities of the lower two orders by spirit communication with the chiefs of the second order. So yeah, absolutely. Did you get my... S- S mail? <laughs> yeah, right. I was just going to say, is there a thing? Oh, God. Anyway. Yeah, interesting. All right. Uh, the start of the order stemmed from the, uh, from the discovery in 1887 of a cipher manuscript bought from a bookshelf, a bookstall in Farringdon Road, London, London, by William Wynne Westcott. Westcott deciphered the manuscript, which contained a series of mystical rituals uh, with the aid of his co-founders Mathers uh, or with of his co-founder Mathers. These rituals were expanded and systematized. So I've got a question real quick. And I, so when I stumbled on this originally, I don't know if you ever heard, like obviously heard the golden Dawn, but I did, I never heard of the manuscripts. So, you know, like kind of like the Bible, okay, you got the Bible that runs, you know, whatever have you, but, I, and I look like five or different ways to figure okay, so wait a minute. This guy found this thing in this bookstall. He managed to decipher it. It's one of its kind. Then they added, I couldn't find anything to explain what the fuck. It's, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't, you just find this weird fucking cipher somewhere that could be from, you don't know, from anybody or uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It would just, uh, there's a connection that, you know, you'll talk about here earlier, but I just found that whole setup initially weird. But maybe that was just me. I don't know. Well, so to me, it's like it could be one of three things, right? Total bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Or like weird, like the Ninth Gate kind of shit where he just happened to find this magic. That's book what I was thinking. Yeah. Some magic force wanted him to find it. Right. And then third, he did find this book that had this cipher in that he deciphered to what he thought it was. And who the fuck knows if he was even close. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, pick a road. I mean, that's got to be. By the way, Ninth Gate is a badass movie. I don't care what anybody says. I love that show. I like the Ninth Gate Road. Yeah. I think it's fun. Yeah, for sure. All right. Also, among the pages of the manuscript was a slip of paper with the address of Fraulein Anna Sprengel, (laughs) a Rosicrucian living in Germany. Um, As the story goes, anyway, allegedly, you know, whatever, don't sue us. Um, Westcott corresponded with Sprangle, who 
makes me want to say Spadoinkle, um, <laughs> who authorized him to found an English branch of the occult society, Die Golden Damarung, or the Golden Dawn. Uh, it has been suggested, however, that Sprinkle did not exist and that Westcott fabricated the correspondence to establish the new secret order. Again, I have no which, fucking clue. Nobody allegedly, that, allegedly, you know? allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, uh, the first temple was established in London in 1888 with Westcott Mathers and W.R. Woodman as chiefs. Between 1888 and 1896, the Osiris Temple was formed at Weston Supermare, Somerset. The Horus Temple at Bradford. I love how Somerset's the word I have a hard time with. Uh, The Horus Temple at Bradford, Yorkshire. The Amun-Ra Temple at Edinburgh, Scotland. And the Ahathor Temple in Gay Perry. Uh, a total of 315 institutions took place during this period, or sorry, initiations took place during this period. The complex rituals of the order were partially revealed in a journal by Alistair Crowley, who, again, if you've been listening, we talked about him uh, in the uh, Jack Parsons two-part episodes uh, back a while back, season three. Yeah. Um him and Jack were like buddy, but yeah. well, we talked about him earlier too, but I mean, there was some weird shit going on there. And, and again, I think Crowley just wanted to be fucking paid attention to at the end of the day and, and, so. uh, supported financially. Yes. That, that, that as well. <laughs> That's a, yeah. another part of it. Um, another fascinating weirdo in history we're checking out. So yeah. Uh, also yes. Jack Parsons was a fucking oh, wild, wild man. Oof. Um, so Crowley joined the Golden Dawn in November 1898 and left early in 1900 to found his own order. And uh, I don't know if this is a weird font thing or if this is how it's supposed to be. That, but that's it's how it's supposed a, to be. Triple I, dot A. It, I don't know what that means. It's man. a version. So evidently, what I can gather, and I was like, it, it was a version of numerology and symbolism mixed together to make the title like it was his idea or something. I, I don't know. Fucking weird. Well, anyway. Apparently it's like AA meetings. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, he anyway. started that in 1905. Um, and uh, his side of the story is that uh, the order had nothing to teach him while the order's side of the story was that he was a fucking asshole. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, Sounds like a typical breakup. Uh, the jury's out, right? Um, I do remember stories of him like casting spells at someone else in the order, and like everyone just was like, "What the fuck? Dude? What are you, What are you doing? Go home. Why are you being <laughs> such a fucking dick, man?" Um, uh, <laughs> to add a more detailed record of the teachings, uh, rites and ceremonies was later published by Israel Regarde in four volumes uh, that came out in 1937 through 40. Uh, Although the rituals of Golden Dawn were little more than a rather complicated Freemasonry embroidered with occult symbolism, the special studies related to them uh, developed the individual's insight into occultism and mysticism. The Golden Dawn over time started to fragment as leadership of the various branches changed hands and new orders were formed. Several Golden Dawn offshoots are still in existence. Probably the most substantive is the Los Angeles-based builders of the Aditum, 
In addition, several new groups have organized in part to offer an alternative to magic practiced in those groups that derive from Aleister Crowley. Cause uh, again, he's still not well loved. No, no, no. Um, and, and again, we're not trying to poo poo Aleister. If you want to go out and find his writings and fuck all more power to you, that's cool. But really it's just, uh, he was just, he was just a fucking witty little weird fucker is all he was. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and honestly though, like reading this part of it made me think of like the, uh, the weird sort of Freemason, sort of Golden Dawn type um, order that the the people, the characters in uh, the first uh, Sherlock Holmes movie that Guy Ritchie directed. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that they that they were doing. It just reminds me of that, like magic that might be magic, might not be. Yeah, we're going to, you know, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we will continue to wrap up the whole thing in occultism. uh, Plus more. Stand by. Hey, go watch that movie during the break. Or don't. (laughs) Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality. Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we are back. Um, I'm reading a book. I haven't started yet, and maybe it might change my viewpoints on... Crowley, I, I doubt it. Supposedly, it's called Agent of 666. Supposedly, the British government had hired him on the side to be like a spy. And then he was working not only with the British government, but with within the people, the Golden Dawn and Jack Parsons, all these other little characters that he was actually a spy and they were paying him money to do that. I, again, I haven't started yet. I, I don't know. It, oh, that sounds fun, though. Yeah, you know, we'll see. Like I said, and the name caught me. I, I just, but everything I found from this Crowley, I, I just, I don't know. I'm just not a not a huge fan. I think he just came, he came about in history at the right time and was weird enough to gain attention, uh, like a lot of cult leaders do, right? I mean, shit, that's what makes them stand out amongst everybody else in the crowd. And I think really at the end of the day, that's really just all he fucking was was just a kind of a cool cult leader. You know, there's well, and, really nothing more to it. You know. It's interesting too because like he claims to be able to do magic, which uh I don't dismiss that shit just right out of hand, right? Because we've talked it, it, power about power of intent. Yeah, power of and intent. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I don't think it's impossible. Um so it's just it's really interesting and it's really weird. So like if people are fans of his, I'm not like gonna yeah. be a dick about uh, yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah. also it like it is it's it, his story is fucking interesting. No matter it, it, what, it is how he actually got to where he was because he just a, his parents were fucking dirt poor. He decided he wanted more. He decided to do the experience and go find this knowledge. And so, in his own right, I you know I give him that because you know there was a, but this whole he believed in like sex was part was a key and the orgasm was the end of the magic power and that's what gives you like this whole thing. And it's like any other cult leader. It's like, yeah, of course, sex is a core of your. Does it make you horny, baby? Yeah, exactly. Does it make you randy? 
Anyway, so oh, enough about that schmutz. Oh, let's move on. So uh, we'll continue down the continue down the road here. Uh, by the end of the 19th century, occultist ideas had spread into other parts of Europe, such as the German Empire, Austria-Hungary, and the Kingdom of Italy, as well as Russia. So I wanted to mention this because I was doing this research, and what fascinated me was the different occultism views and sects that were popped up around the world, and honestly how vast they were, but out of all these different sects, and when I say sects, I mean, I'm spelled S-E-C-T-S, which are groups, not not sects. Not sex. You get your mind out of the gutter, people. Listen anyway, here, perverts. Right, right. Get off our podcast. Um, hundreds of different sects were created and continue to exist, and they still do. But researching this whole thing, Russia was fascinating. And so it had a very unique problem where occultist groups were not created due to an opposition to Christianity, but wrapped up into it was also uh, the political climate. The move in industrialism, uh, yes. uh, the lack of faith in the hierarchy in charge, and the list goes on. Like all these other outside forces in Russia, because there was a time when it it just flipped. The whole country had to flip on its face just to get, because it was changing, and it changed drastically. And nobody trusts one another, and the people in charge weren't. Like there's all these other things that made the cultism view in Russia even more prevalent. Not just, well, we don't believe in Christianity. You know, to where, and not saying that around the European, there was another areas that, you know, the countries that did that. Well, and, specifically and in Russia, you know, the Russian Orthodox Church was a little more mystical than, um, I, say, 100%. the Roman Catholic Church, you know, yeah, or at least more outwardly mystical. And yeah, like, yeah, 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 a lot of stuff to it. So I just want to bring it, you know, when you do stumble on this, um, and you go down. Uh, Russia in general with occultism, it's worth reading because it's really kind of cool. Uh, we didn't, we're really not going to get you know detailed about it, but just uh, just interesting. Anyway, um, do do do. So we are, and even today in Russia, again, just to add, um, the occult beliefs are kind of making a resurgence, and not saying that again, this isn't happening in other parts of the world, but especially in Russia, it's really weird. It's really weird how things are starting to kind of pop back up and recirculate, if you will, the last thirty years. Um, so I don't know, something to watch for, for sure. Anyway, um, cult groups founded after World War II, 1939-45, were concerned with the, the individual rather than discovering religion itself. Uh, interesting groups here I want to mention uh, called the Millenarian Groups uh, were a great example of this. Millenarian Groups looked at nuclear holocausts, earthquakes, floods, fires, anything bad, basically, spacecrafts, uh, that they would actually be the one to herald in a new age. It is debated uh, what we will be at the event, when it will come. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, Josh, you know, as well as I do, the world's not a great place. I mean, Putin could fire nuclear weapons at any fucking time. I mean, I I don't know. Uh, he's not, not going to do that. I don't think he will either. But, you know, it, it's still the thing. Um, so, you know, we're in a weird thing. But these people are like, hey, it's going to take this in order to reach our new enlightenment. And that's kind of what they believe. Um and they're wondering, you know, they're, gu- they're getting their spiritual preparations in order, um, who's going to guide them and all this other stuff. A millenarian groups try to explain conditions of an irrational society drawing on rediscovered knowledge from the ancient past. Millenarian groups are popular because they offer an identity to a group when their social identity or cultural identity is threatened, which makes sense, right? Just like anything else. Sure. People are going to run to something that, you know, they say, hey, we got it down pet. We know what's going on. We'll save you type thing. Yeah. Um, for those who adhere to the millenarian uh, beliefs, anxiety and fear would disappear from the human condition only if people embrace nature, avoid frustration and abuse, and gain immunity uh, uh, immunity from illness and disease, which 
I mean, that all sounds great too at the same time. Yeah. But I just, mean, yeah, I'd like to be out in nature touching grass a bit more often. You yeah. Know. But it, it takes basically a Holocaust in order to get there. Right. So there's that. Anyway, in apocalyptic systems of belief, the current society is reinforced by faith in its inevitable destruction and redemption by divine forces. We mentioned this occultist group because in these trying times, again, like we said, there are many of these groups active, just kind of waiting for someone to do something bad. Um, anyway, so and they're still out there, a little bit more prevalent than they used to be, but that whole mid-1940s thing, that's kind of when they started, you know, because people were scared after the war. And then, yeah. of course, we had atomic warfare that... Uh, yeah, rightly so. Right there, in, you know, developed and invented right in that time frame. So... As we moved into the mid-century, uh, various 20th century writers on the subject used the term occultism in different ways. Some writers, such as the German philosopher Theodore W. Adorno, in his Thesis Against Occultism, employed the term as a broad synonym for irrationality, which, um, fair enough. In his, 1950, <laughs> in his 1950 book, L'Occultisme, Robert Amadou used the term as a synonym for uh, esotericism, an approach that the latter scholar of esotericism, Marco Pazzi, suggested left the term superfluous. Unlike Amadou, other writers such as cultism and esotericism uh, as different, albeit related, like we talked, part one, um, phenomena which we discussed earlier. So we, we kind of explained that whole thing. In the 1970s, the sociologist Edward Turakin and other researchers or authors distinguished between occultism, which he used in reference to practices, techniques, and procedures, and esotericism, which he defined as a religious or philosophical belief of the systems on which such practices are based. So now we're starting to get, there's other researchers going, okay, now the two are different. And this is why. This is what you practice is this. If you just believe in it, it's this. So we start kind of getting in the weeds a little bit with everything. Um, so by the 21st century, the term was commonly employed, including by academic scholars of esotericism, to refer to a range of esoteric currents that developed in the mid-19th century and their descendants. So yeah, we're getting a little bit more clarification, I guess, as we, as we move on. But yeah, we're getting less fun as we get to modern times. <laughs> that too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so unlike or older forms of esotericism, occultism does not reject scientific prog- progress or modernity. Uh, Liebe had stressed the need to solve the conflict between science and religion, something that he believed could be achieved by turning to what he thought was the ancient wisdom found in magic. Uh, according to British historian of Western esotericism, Nicholas Goodrick Clark. <laughs> it sounded like an AI reading that. <laughs> you did, Nicholas Clark. Goodrick Clark. Uh, occultist groups typically seek proofs and demonstrations by uh, recourse to scientific tests or terminology. In his work about Levy, uh, the German historian of religion, Julian Strube, has argued that the occultists, quote-unquote, wish for a, quote-unquote, synthesis of religion, science, and philosophy directly resulted from the context of contemporary socialism and progressive Catholicism. Go figuring. They're waiting for them to um, pop up in the crowd. <laughs> It's our, if it's if not already fairly obvious, occultists usually distance themselves from Christianity. In some cases, 
like that of Crowley, even adopting explicitly anti-Christian stances, which is one of the reasons most people that haven't researched occultism and understand its existence lump it into the whole like satanic panic devil worship kind of yep, shit. Yep. Um, again, uh, back to the age old thought of if I don't understand it, I'm not, I'm going to make some shit up about it and assume that it's uh, about it and assumptions about it to scare uh, and draw people away from it, which is basically what we, especially in America do about pretty much everything all the goddamn yep. time. Yep. It doesn't matter what it is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun that way. I'm still going to talk like I know exactly what it is, but I'm a fucking idiot and I don't know what it is, but I'm going to love the like Dunning Kruger effect. Is that, what, love is, it. is that the theory? It's crazy. Uh, yeah. It's the uh, thing where like someone that doesn't know shit about shit acts like an expert. Yeah. Well, it's there you go. like Welcome the very, the, very, very yeah. oversimplified version of it. Welcome to uh present day. Well, probably mm-hmm. all over, not just here in America. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, the advent of social media has not, not diminished helped. that in any no. regard. No. Um, in rejecting Christianity, these occultists sometimes turn towards pre-Christian belief systems and embrace forms of modern paganism, while others instead look uh, took influence from the religions of Asia, such as Hinduism and Buddhism. In some cases, certain occultist groups did both. Uh, another characteristic of these occultists was the emphasis that they placed on the spiritual realization of the individual, an idea that would strongly influence 20th century new age and human potential movements. Which again is great. Uh, this, I mean, that's great. I, you know, yeah. in, in a way, and again, I'm not trying to poo-poo anybody who believes a big man in the sky, but you know, we are complex creatures and there's complex species on this earth. And why not think that we can try to, pick ourselves up by the bootstraps instead of going, God, if it's your will, God, you're going to give me that job. If it's your will, God, you're going to give it. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, I don't know, man. I'm a big fan of the Lord. I've seen what you've done for others and I want that for myself. (laughs) Are you trying to that? Huh? Jesus. Well, just because I I want Uh, that for myself. Yeah, true. Laziness. Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, also remember that line from that Kenny Loggins song, from the original Footloose soundtrack, where it's like, heaven helps a man who helps himself. I thought you were going to say Danger Zone, but I was way off. So that's Top Gun, bud. Yeah. Oh, so Kenny Loggins. Uh, yeah, yeah, you but, said Footloose. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. One one movie is definitely more important than the <laughs> other, and I will uh, leave that to the listener to decide which one that is. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway. Uh, this spiritual realization was encouraged both through traditional Western occult sciences like alchemy and ceremonial magic, but by the start of the 20th century had also begun to include practices drawn from non-Western contexts such as yoga. Which is true. I mean, like, now it's just like yoga isn't, but when it first came out, it's like, what is this hippy dippy magical shit going on? Because nobody, nobody bought into it. It's just fucking that just, uh, that just reminds me of, Anchorman, when he's like, oh, we can try the new fad. It's called yogging, or I don't know, maybe it's a hard J. <laughs> it's so dumb. Anyway, now in modern times, occultism continues to get the shitty end of the stick, albeit some groups deserve to get that reputation. Uh, there are a lot of groups that purposely use hate and violent rhetoric to get their point across. We know this, right? Uh, this is where the fine line of cult versus occultism is broken. 
Some of these more modern groups have trends and common features such as anti-clerical, anti-Christian, anti-rationalistic, anti-intelligence, uh, anti-materialistic, anti-scientific, and and it goes on. It's just I mean, not all of that sounds bad. <laughs> true, true. And there's some of that actually rings a bell for sure. Um, like anti-materialistic sounds yeah, okay. Yeah, but you know the the key thing is here is anti anti anything. You know, if whatever's going on over here, we're going to do exact opposite of. It. Which again, sometimes that is a good thing, but. It still lumps into what it is. Uh, the, histo- the historian of esotericism, Michael Monahan, as well as others, notes that occultism is, quote, not a single school of thought, but rather a group of loosely affiliated thinkers and practitioners, unquote. Hmm. Yeah. Philosophy. So, well, nowadays, when you go to most bookstores, and there are books, to- books on astrology, divination, tarot, the I Ching, cartomancy, or telling fortunes with regular playing cards— Palmistry, numerology, phrenology, crystal gazing, clairvoyance, clairaudience, automatic writing, tea leaf reading. Also in the cult section were books on seances, astral projection, Ouija boards, mind reading, auras, ghosts, haunted houses, vampirism. It just fairies. It fucking crazy. But all these fucking things. Fucking lycanthropy. Like, like <laughs> it's cra- it's cra- elemental forces, past lives, trances, spirit boxes, witchcraft. Uh, How to hypnotize chickens was even a book that I saw one time. Every single one of these books, more than likely, will all be found in the occult section. And one can argue whether every one of these topics should be lumped into the same category because I, I personally don't think so. But this is the world we're in nowadays. It seems we're even more confused in defining occultism properly where we should have more knowledge on the matter. But we just don't. Or the other side of it is a simply a matter of evolving. As crazy as the history of occultism is, have people just chalked it up as over here is some kooky shit and some people think they're cool by learning and practicing it? Um, or is this something different? Because I, it doesn't seem like that nowadays in modern times, right? So, you know, obviously there's still Christian groups that take it very seriously. And we've never really mentioned that because, you know, it kind of goes without saying. But again, you know, they, they annotate it with the devil, no matter what the call practice may be. Um, you know, we're fairly open, you and I, Josh, and along with our friends, people we talk to, but I'm positive that Satan didn't create astrology. I'm just saying. I mean, maybe not. Uh, let me say 99.9%. Or maybe. Or maybe. Or maybe. Here we go. The greatest trick the devil, the devil ever pulled wasn't convincing man that he didn't exist, but was convincing man that women weren't crazy for being into astrology. Yeah. I'm going to say no. Just still. another way to ruin your life. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. Exactly. But I mean, that's the thing. So, you know, now you, you, you know, we have these Christian groups that are still attacking even to this day. And again, we'd mentioned about the satanic panic in the eighties went off. Oh, and it's fucking reviving rails. that shit. Oh, they are absolutely. They absolutely are. Well, and again, I'm not going to get political, but there's a certain group that literally is single-handedly trying to bring it back into the mainframe, and I just don't understand why. Why it, it's a, again, it's I know why. It's a form of fear. That's what it is, you know. But yeah, fear equals control, right? You know, period. End of, end of the line, right there. So. Anyway, lastly, if any of you are curious about learning about this topic that we've talked about here, uh, part one and part two, uh, a couple great books that uh, that I want to recommend here. One is called The Art of Occultism, The Secrets of High Occultism and Inner Exploration. It's a book written by uh, Gabrielle Saram, and it's actually really, really good. I've got it in my, in my library. Uh, it, not only does it kind of explain a little bit of kind of how to understand it, but it has some practice in it, too. Which, which, again, you know, feel free to do whatever you want to do as far as practicing different 
things of occultism. You know, I would say sometimes you can get yourself in trouble if you don't know what you're doing. But again, I think maybe some of that's more, you know, power of intent, like we talk about that all the time, rather than does it work or not work? You know, if nothing else, just interesting to have it in history. Um, another book, actually, I'm about halfway through, is a book called uh, A Dark Muse, A History of the Cult, and it's written by a Gary Lockman. Um, and this one, too, does a pretty good job of explaining the history, kind of how it evolved through the different centuries, different places across the world, Europe and America, um, how it's viewed. Um, very, very interesting books, really easy read. Um, I would recommend those, too. And again, you know, if anybody's curious about occultism, you know, just go beyond the Wikipedia. You know, get there's actually one guy called a Gaia that I stumbled on and does a really good job of laying it out. You know, it's just it's the de- definition of what occultism really is and defining that away from occult and cults and and everything and just have some knowledge behind it. Don't be don't be narrow-minded and stupid about it. Um, and I, I think that's the problem, especially nowadays still with social media. There's so many people that paint it out to be this straight from hell type fucking thing when it really is not. It's just like we said in the very, very beginning. It's hidden history. It's hidden knowledge. Go look for it. You know, it's not that hard. But it's still fascinating how it evolved. Uh, yeah. Again, you know? just remember that just because the letters C-U-L-T are in the word doesn't mean right. that it's talking about like cult yep. shit yeah yeah i'm saying I, and i think that's where it gets lost a lot um and even in today's standards which fascinates me that we're in 2022 and i still hear uh you know preachers slam the bible down <laughs> talking about how you know palm reading is you know the sign of the beast i i just don't eh, whatever you know teach your own teach your own right but anyway yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's the story of a cult. Uh, there are some more groups that we probably could have dived a little bit more down. You know, we picked the big four because they were the most interesting ones. We mentioned some offshoots. There's some good characters in there. I think uh, Blavatsky is is absolutely worth an episode. Um, you know, crazy kind of her evolution and what she did, you know, leaving Russia to go to America to what she had. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of things in here that we can kind of expand on as far as the topic. So, you know, if you listeners want to, you know, grab something that we talked about in these two parts and it would like more elaborate with them, you know, we can go on a topic by all means. Please write us at strangejunkles at gmail.com or call us at 801-252-69-45. Let us know. And then we can go from there. Um, I don't know. Thoughts, man, on your side? Yeah, dude. Uh, I think that you you said it well um, just now. Um, again, this is like just a big scattershot, like very general. Hey, this is kind of like the basics of what this stuff is. And I think it's good to have that out there so that when, when we talk about it um, in more detail, people have frame of reference and all that kind yeah. of shit you know um this is something that we're we'll be touching on th- through various topics probably all the goddamn time oh yeah like, for sure you know I mean, and we have in the past i just don't think we really unfolded it a lot you know yeah so yeah, yeah. but this is just a basically a, a hey in case you didn't know here you go um and i'm sure we'll dig deeper into aspects of it here and there as we as we go along on our journey, you know? Yep. For sure. For sure. So anyway, um, how are we looking on socials, man? Um, we are at, uh, uh, strange uncles podcast on Instagram and Facebook, strange uncles on Twitter, YouTube, uh, um, LinkedIn, 
might put us on hinge. I don't know. Uh, Is and uh, yeah, but that's oh. where that's where you can find us. You know, we might we might end up on Bumble. Who knows? <laughs> MySpace. Look for our MySpace might, account. Might put us on Grinder. Who fucking knows? You know what? If it gets um, a listener, I'm I'm fine with it. <laughs> Doesn't bother me a bit. But anyway, uh, yeah, we are actually on social media in a few places. Um, but yeah, find us there. Yell at us. Uh, I check the DMs like once a month. So oh, if cool. we don't get back to you super that's, soon, that's why. <laughs> so, and stand by too. We got a couple more guests lined up for the end of the season. Uh, and then we're going to take a brief little sabbatical and then come back after things have slowed down for both of us and hopefully have some new, uh, new content for you guys. But we do have some pretty cool guests lined up. Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll go from there. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And I don't know, man, I don't have anything else. You good? Nah. All right. Close them.